Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, and I'm here today with Dr. Andrew Moshvegi of the USC Roski Eye Institute. Andrew, welcome back to Retina Synthesis. Thank you very much. There's been a tremendous amount of interest in high-dose aflibercept as the next step in the commercial development of ILEA. And today, we'd like to talk about the Pulsar study, which was a study of 8 milligram aflibercept for the treatment of neovascular AMD. You were involved with that study and uh, recently talked about it at the Clinical Trials Summit. Tell us about aflibercept 8 milligrams. Sure. Well, you know, we are all accustomed to a regular dose aflibercept, 2 milligrams, which is used for all of the uh, classic indications for retinal vascular disease like neovascular AMD, retinal beta occlusion, diabetic retinopathy, diabetic macular edema. Um, but, you know, one way to try to get not only increased potency, but duration of action would be to increase the dose of the drug. But we are somewhat limited by the amount of volume that can be injected into any given eye, especially on a repeated basis. And so what the company did was to develop a higher molar dose of the drug, four times the dose, eight milligrams instead of two milligrams. Uh, but the two milligrams is normally delivered in 50 microliters. Uh, and this uh, eight milligram dose is delivered in a slightly higher dose, 70 microliters. So it's not like 0.1 uh, cc's, but, you know, 70% of that. And so high dose uh, with the hope of getting a longer duration of action and more potency. And this study was looking at neovascular AMD. So what was the study design? So they took on-label uh, regular dose, two milligrams of ILEA, uh, and one of the labeled indications uh, regimens uh, for neovascular AMD is to do two milligrams every eight weeks following three initial monthly loading doses. Uh, so that was the control arm in 336 patients. And that was compared to two other arms, eight milligrams every 12 weeks after three initial monthly loading doses, or the third arm, eight milligrams every 16 weeks after three initial monthly loading in injections a similar number of patients as the control arm. Primary endpoint was mean change in best corrected visual acuity in a non-inferiority statistical analysis at basically one year, week 48. And then uh, patients were followed for roughly two years. Now that's the overarching 30,000 foot view of the study design. There's a lot of little nuances in terms of what constitutes the Q12 week eight milligram uh, arm and what constitutes the Q16 week, since we know that perhaps not everyone in those arms might be able to go to those long durations in between injections. And so what they did is they came up with these uh, sort of dose regimen modification uh, visits starting at week 16 in the experimental arms. And then those visits based upon whether there was a five letter loss in visual acuity or more, um, or 
a 25 micron increase in central retinal thickness, uh, intervals uh, could be shortened. So if you were on the Q12, you could be shortened to the Q8. If you were on the Q16, you could also be shortened uh, to uh, Q12 or Q8 subsequently. So they had several of these DRM uh, visits um, uh, sort of interspersed between weeks 16 and week 44. It wasn't every visit, but it was uh, at uh, precise visits throughout, such that no patient would ever go less than every eight weeks, including those in the experimental arm, which weren't subject to these DRM visits. Um, but in experimental arms, no patient could go less than every eight weeks. Mm. So what were the results? Well, so for one thing, uh, patients were nicely balanced at baseline with respect to demographic characteristics, visual acuity and OCT metrics. Uh, with respect to the primary outcome measure of non-inferiority, uh, with respect to best corrected change in visual acuity, uh, the lines were nicely overlapping such that there was non statistical non-inferiority. There, uh, there, there was not uh, in inferiority. Um, so they met their primary endpoint with respect to visual acuity. Um, and that was great such that when you look at, what about all those DRM visits where they could have been pushed down to a more frequent dosing interval? Didn't that just drive these Q12 and Q16 week best corrected visual acuity numbers? Not really, because when you look at those arms, 80% of patients in both arms approximately uh, were able to maintain their initial uh, regimen assignment of either Q12 or Q16. Um, and over 83% when you pool that data were able to stay Q12. Um, and so despite having these opportunities to get to a changed regimen, you know, only about one in five patients needed to change the regimen. And with that approach, they were able to get very similar data that we've become accustomed to with ILEA Q8 weeks. Um, and this results in, you know, fewer number of injections in the annual basis, as well as um, you know, uh, perhaps uh, greater patient acceptance of this long-term regimen. One metric that I found particularly compelling was that, you know, I told you those dose regimen modification DRM visits didn't start until week 16. I remember all three arms had loading doses at zero, four, and eight weeks. But we had a Kaplan-Meier survival curve analysis looking at time to a fluid-free central subfield on OCT. And really the median time to a fluid-free center for both the Q12-week arms was only four weeks. So really after the first injection at their first follow-up visit, you know, the median uh, number of patients had achieved a fluid-free center in the eight milligram arms, both of them, compared with eight weeks, so one more visit for the standard dose two milligram arms. 
So for those that thought, well, you know, maybe this whole messing around with the regiments things is kind of making everything murky. I can't really interpret the data. Well, you can if you look at it before those dose regimen modification visions occur, because they don't occur until week 16. So during those first, you know, 12 weeks, you can, it really is more of a head-to-head -head analysis. And, you know, most people make treatment modification decisions on the basis of the appearance of the OCT. So the fact that this high dose of a flibercept um, was able to, you know, get over 50% of the patients dry uh, in the central subfield by week four compared to week eight for the two milligram arm is particularly compelling in my opinion, uh, especially when, you know, the Harbor study looking at ranibizumab, uh, you know, we didn't see uh, a positive outcome in that study. So I think this is a particularly compelling data. So what was the 16 week data like again? In terms of visual acuity? Visual acuity. What it, my my question is this: What's the expectation that what percentage of a flibercept patients can be treated at sixteen week intervals? Yeah, so roughly eighty percent. You know, it's really seventy seven percent were on the Q sixteen week interval, and when you look at those visual acuity curves, it's very good. It's you know slightly uh, below. Uh, the 2Q8, uh, and of that Q16-week uh, initial patient assignment to that regimen, 13% of them were bumped down to Q8 weeks, and 11% of them were bumped down to Q12 weeks, but 77% of them stayed at Q16 weeks. Um, and with respect to, you know, visual acuity outcomes, there was 6.2 letters gained for the 8 milligram every 16 weeks, 6.7 letters gained for 8 milligrams Q12 weeks, and that's compared with the control arm, 7.6 letters for 2 milligrams low dose um, Q8 weeks. Um, if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. What This was a phase three trial? Yep, pivotal study. And, you know, the visual acuity data also nicely uh, gel with, I'm sorry, the OCT data nicely gel with the visual acuity data. It's not like we see one of these two important metrics meeting uh, our expectations, but then the other one kind of being a little bit disappointing. No, really both of them are nicely overlapping uh, lines for each of the cohorts when you look at visual acuity over time and when you look at central thickness over time. Uh, so I think it is uh, fairly compelling. You know, in my opinion, the only drawback really is, you know, the newness perhaps of this high concentration of the drug, as well as the fact that, you know, it's not eight milligrams and 50 microliters. It is a slightly higher dose uh, volume, slightly higher volume of 70 microliters. And, you know, I've had patients where I've injected regular dose aflibercept, you know, and I accidentally gave a little bit too much. And, you know, the patient comes out NLP for a few seconds or a minute or so, 
And so this is, you know, like every patient could have that opportunity with 70 microliters because it's more than what we're used to. Now, do I expect every patient to end up NLP? No. Did that happen in this study? No. So, you know, there are mitigation strategies that people can employ when doing the injections to help soften the eye, such as applying tamponade to the sclera, uh, you know, all for like maybe 15 to 30 seconds uh, with a cotton swab times three prior to doing your injection. That sort of helps the eye pre-auto-regulate before administration of a large volume of drug. I've already been doing that for patients receiving PEG-CETA-COPLAN for complement inhibition with geographic atrophy or dry AMD, uh, because that's 100 microliters. That's even a higher uh, volume. And I haven't run into any patients yet having me needing to do a anterior chamber paracentesis uh, with that approach. Uh, so that it does take a little bit longer. Um, and that's one drawback, but uh, if you're only doing the injections every 12 or 16 weeks, a little bit longer injection prep may not be that unreasonable. So is there any estimate of when this will be FDA approved and available? Yeah, the PADUFA date is like in 10 days. Mm -hmm. uh, so once FDA makes their decision, I'm sure Regeneron is poised to commercialize it and distribute it pretty quickly thereafter. It won't have the same billing code as regular dose aflibercept. So I don't know if they're coming out with a temporary J code during that period of time. They probably will, is my guess. And so that might be something that would slow uptake in the first few months. And there's a, there was a parallel photon trial in diabetic macular edema. What did that show? Very similar um, outcomes uh, with photon study for DME. Um, can't quote you all the numbers off the top of my head, but uh, very impressive outcomes overall. So the future of aflibercept is at eight, the eight milligram dose, <laughs> it would appear. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that metric I talked about, time to a fluid-free central subfield, I think tells you, you know, this isn't just for the long run that you might switch a patient who's requiring frequent injections to this regimen. You know, if you want to get patients dry quickly, uh, this might be the way to do it instead of being more concerned and starting with two milligrams. That being said, my understanding is it's not that two milligrams will be going away. It will not, um, since that's the dose that's used for some of the other indications like retinal vein occlusion and the like. So um, at least for a while, I think we'll have both doses available. Well, Andrew, thank you for your time and thank you for this very promising news about aflibercept eight milligrams. My pleasure. Thank you.